0: Right foot, left foot, right foot, and you'll have an intimate walk with God. If you want to have a better marriage, Monday morning, get up and make coffee for your wife. And Monday night, be kind to her. And Tuesday morning, get up and make coffee for your wife. And Tuesday night, be kind to her. And Wednesday morning, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. If you want to lose weight, eat Less. (laughs) And do it repeatedly. (laughs) And so our leaders are people who repeat themselves. And vision is essential for giving. It's, you know, I have found, and I I think this is true in, in the UK, but I have found in the United States, and certainly for me, The world could be coming to an end next Thursday. But if we've had good attendance and the giving is good, I'm a happy pastor. If you ask pastors, you know, how are things going and the church is growing, attendance is up, giving is good, things are going very well, thank you. Doesn't matter what else is happening, things are going very well, thank you very much. Vision is essential to motivate people to give you know we're asking people to give to the church why should we why should we because it's right to do because that's the you know the christian thing or no we're creating a future god is working through us for a preferred future for our city for this group of people what's the picture you're painting for a preferred future for single moms, or for kids, or for the poor, or, or for the next generation, people need to believe. Vision's crucial for unity. Vision is crucial for evaluating ministry. How do you know whether you're succeeding or not? Unless you have a clear picture of what you wish to be. John Wimber used to say that uh, most churches play church. The way men play fantasy basketball. I don't know if this translates quite, but, but, you know, in the U.S., men play fantasy basketball. No ball, no hoop. But time is running out. Three, two, one. Rich shoots. Perfect. Through the basket, rich wins. How do we know? There's no ball, no hoop. And uh, that's the way churches, you know, do church. How did your evangelistic meeting go? Oh, it was wonderful, just wonderful. No one got saved, but oh, we had a potluck after and there was great pie and, and and we talked and we had rich fellowship and so we had a great evangelistic meeting. No ball, no hoop. No one got saved. The purpose of the, you know, the outreach was I mean, there's no evaluative grid, so there's lots of reasons why we need vision. Now, if you read Christian books on leadership, you'll be told about the importance of vision. You'll be inspired to dare great things for God, to attempt great things for God, to believe great things for God, You'll be told story after story of people who overcame tremendous obstacles in order to achieve something. Uh, Billy Graham was told by one of his professors, there is certainly one thing you'll never be, and that is a preacher. Great discernment. Franklin Roosevelt, President Franklin Roosevelt overcame polio and Demosthenes, the Greek orator overcame stuttering, Uh, you know, all of these great stories of overcoming obstacles. But here's what I want to say, and we're going to turn to our phones in just a second. Uh, With all of the great reasons why we must have a vision, uh, John Mumford stole my thunder last night. When he said that before we have a vision for God, we must have a vision of God. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. We must have a vision of God. Vision begins with a vision of God. Visionary leadership doesn't start off with what could we accomplish? Or what could I accomplish? What could happen in our community? Visionary leadership starts off with a vision of God. The title that I, of my talk is the vision of a Christian leader, le, uh, the vision of God. Let's just invite God's presence. Lord, I do pray that you'd fill me with the spirit. And I do pray God that your word would have power and that we would see you more clearly. Lord, would you reveal yourself to us in a fresh way again? Help us to get in touch with the living God. We pray, Lord, that uh, you lift our eyes, lift our chins up, Lord, for those who are downcast. Lift us up. Help us to see you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be reading from Isaiah chapter six. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips." And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Here am I. Send me. So let me give you just a little bit of historical background to the text before we plunge into its parts. Uh, Despite the fact that this chapter, chapter 6, comes after five chapters of prophecy, uh, this really, uh, chapter 6 in Isaiah really forms the beginning of the book, It just, uh, Isaiah could have reordered the chapters and put chapter 6 first. This is really the beginning of Isaiah's ministry. It's much like the book of Amos, where Amos puts a record of his calling way back in chapter 7. And so this is the beginning of uh, Isaiah's ministry. And if you know anything about Bible history, you know that the chronology of the kings is is notoriously difficult to establish exactly who reigned when because there were co-regencies, kings serving at the same time. There are overlaps in the dating. But Isaiah's calling, this incident in Isaiah 6, probably took place around 740 B.C., In the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord, probably about 740 BC. And Uzziah was a king of Israel longer than any king in all of Israel's history. He was king for 52 years. He came to the throne at one of the very low points in Israel's history. At the beginning of Uzziah's reign, Israel was a mess. It was a mess militarily. It was a mess economically. It's like going into a church, following a senior pastor who's had an affair, run off with a secretary. Everyone is just reeling, and you're coming in. Everything is a mess. And the Lord prospered the nation under Uzziah's leadership. In fact, the borders of Israel extended further than they ever were since the days of Solomon and and, uh, King David. Now, I said that vision for a Christian leader doesn't begin with a vision for God. It rather begins with a vision of God. This is what we see in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Not, what could I do for the Lord? Not, my call to Christian service. Not... The agonized cries of the hungry or the lost, all of that is good. That's not where Isaiah started in his call. In the year King Uzziah died, what's the first thing, the most foundational thing? I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. It's a personal vision. I saw the Lord. For vision to mean anything, it must be a personal vision. You know, a Christian leader, to put it a little differently, is someone who has gone to the well themselves and drank. A Christian leader is not just someone who hands out secondhand opinions. You know, synthesize the very best of Tom Wright and Chris Wright and, you know, Wesley and Spurgeon and John Wimber and listen to lots of tapes. All of that is useful, but that's not at the foundation of real Christian leadership. All Christian leadership is a personal vision. I saw the Lord. It's a personal experience of God. The Apostle John tells us this in his book of 1 John. He says that uh, for young Christians... And for older Christians, what lies at the foundation of the Christian life and any Christian success is a personal experience of God. 1 John 2, 14. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. A Christian leader speaks from their own personal experiential base. And it doesn't mean that we don't do a lot of reading We don't listen to a lot of podcasts. We're not encouraged by other Christian leaders, but we need more than that. That's maybe necessary, but it's not sufficient. You need your own personal experience of God. A Christian leader is not a parrot. A Christian leader is not an echo. They don't simply copy the opinions of other people. And if that is all you are currently able to do, you're not yet a Christian leader. You're certainly not yet a visionary leader. And you see, the essential question that people really want to know, or they may not know this is their question, but it is the question, is what do you personally know of God? What do you personally know of God? Don't just talk to me about what church ought to be like, what should happen, what the correct answer is, but how deep do your convictions run? Have you sunk pilings all the way down to the triune God, all the way down, so that your convictions about sexuality, or your convictions about suffering, or your convictions about Christian leadership, or whatever the issue is, they run down to the being of God himself. Where your heart is, there will your treasure be also, right? Or rather, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Who's your treasure? And you know, sometimes you talk with people and they have kind of a far-off quality as they're handing out counsel. You think, I don't think this person lives in the house that they want me to live in. I don't think they drink from the water that they're handing out for all of us to drink. I don't know that they satisfy their thirst with this water. Do you really satisfy your thirst with the water you hand out? Christian leadership begins and in large measure ends at this point. What's your vision of God? You know, isn't that all we really have to offer to people? A vision of God? I mean, isn't that what makes the church different? Shocking as it may be, there are other organizations that can out-administrate the Christian church. I'm sorry to bring this brutal news from America. (laughs) But uh, there are exceptionally bright people who do not believe in Jesus Christ. And uh, shocking as it may be, uh, there are other uh, places and people... Who can out-entertain the church? Given a Sunday morning program or Mumford and Sons, (laughs) where are we going to have a line around the city? Uh, You know, Springsteen, Spielberg, they can out-entertain the church. So what unique thing do we offer as Christians... The reason why people are drawn is because they're looking for God. Really, that's the reason people are drawn. They're looking for God. What is God saying to us in this situation? I need a word from God. So let's look back at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, what is significant about when the vision came? It was in the year King Uzziah died. What occurred... During the reign of Uzziah, the length of his reign is this unparalleled period of Judean prosperity and peace. It was like England in the age of Victoria. And there was tremendous blessing on Judah during this time. And the military got stronger. And the Judean army was feared. And tribute came into Judea from all over the ancient Near East. And then... Suddenly, like the assassination of John Kennedy, like the death of Victoria, it's all over. It's all over. And uh, it was a devastating blow. Often vision happens during a painful season. Uzziah was generally considered to be a good and righteous king. He had troubles at the end, but the overall reign of Uzziah was a good period. And uh, there was a huge hole left in national leadership. And there's a huge hole left in Isaiah's life. The king that he had relied on, that he admired, uh, is dead. And I just want to uh, just pause here and say this simple thing, and it may be obvious, but this is a part of the process that God uses to make and break a leader he will sovereignly permit a hole to be formed in the leader's life. I've watched this over and over again in my own life. I've watched this in the life of people who are leaders. The process goes this way everything is going well, you're prospering, there's a time of peace.